Welcome to Bridging the Potential, Intergenerational Conversations that Change the World. This is Alyssa Noel Quello, founding member of Living the Potential Network's Youth Advisory Council, with a question for you. What happens when you bridge the experience, education, and expertise of an elder with the curiosity, energy, and innate wisdom of a youth? It's simple. Everyone grows and the world changes for the better. One conversation, one connection, one collaboration at a time. Today's podcast is no different. Renee Beth connected me with Catherine McCormick, professional dancer, actress, movement educator, and neurosculpting meditation facilitator. I think you'll enjoy our conversation about waking up to the stories we home in our bodies and healing them through expressive movement. My favorite part of this podcast was when Catherine shared how her superpower, her passion, her love for dance had become a source of pain and how she chose to transform that relationship within her body and her spirit. So welcome, Catherine, and welcome, Alyssa. Great to have you with us today. Great to be here. Hi. Hi, so great. I think we're going to start with you, Catherine. You have an amazing background and you're living in Los Angeles, I believe. Yes. And as a professional dancer, educator and certified neurosculpting facilitator, how did your journey begin? Did you know in an early age who you were becoming? So I've been in Los Angeles almost 12 years now, 12, I believe it has been. And I honestly had no idea that this is where I would end up, at least for now. I started dancing when I was three years old. My mom had a dance studio whenever I was born. I started training there. Then my mom went to nursing school and I ended up shifting to the dance studio that she grew up at. So it was in the family for us. And when I was 18 years old, I knew I wanted to dance. That's what I felt the most connected to. But beyond that, I've always had a deep connection with people, a deep connection to help others and to be of service in some way. And I remember during that time, one of my biggest desires and prayers was how can I use my gifts in order to enhance my life and others and bring a little bit more goodness to the world. And I didn't really know what to do. So I applied to one school for dance. I didn't end up getting into it. And so I just decided that I was going to begin auditioning. I didn't know what a professional dancer was. I had one friend who was a rocket from my studio growing up. And so I was like, I'm interested in seeing what this professional dance world is. I have no idea any, I don't know anything about it. So whenever I was 18, I was teaching at the studio I grew up at, and I ended up booking a, t- uh, booking a flight to go to Los Angeles just to take classes with my dance teacher who had lived out here for 10 years. And so we came out, and when I was out here, I ended up getting a referral to an agency that I'm still signed with today. And I met with them, I signed with the agency at that point, but I was still living in Georgia where I grew up. And so it didn't really make sense. A lot of times auditions come and you have a day or two notice to actually get to the audition. 
I wasn't making very much money teaching at a dance studio. And so I was very dependent on my family at that point. So I was in Georgia getting sent on auditions. And so I had to be very picky on which ones I could actually come to because it was very costly to come out and I could get cut right away. So it was for the remake of Fame in 2008, I believe it was, that I ended up booking a ticket, flew out to Los Angeles, booked the job. It was my first professional audition I had ever gone on, booked the job to have three to four months of work in Los Angeles. I ended up moving out, packing all of my things. I remember it was on Halloween that Mm -hmm. I moved to Los Angeles and they ended up casting too many dancers. So I ended up being an extra on the job. And so I moved my life to Los Angeles thinking I was getting paid, thinking I was going to meet people. I didn't really know anyone and have work consistently. And I moved out and um, had one day of work, but that was it. So I just kind of had to find my way. And I was taking the bus back and forth to the Edge dance studio at the time taking as many classes as I could, trying to meet people and stand next to people that I felt were inspiring and I wanted to learn from. And that's kind of how it all started for me. I haven't left. Wow. It was like you had an intuitive knowing and courage to go ahead and follow that inner voice of yours. And it didn't work out exactly the way you planned, but something miraculous did occur. Do you want to tell us the rest of that story? Definitely. So I moved out. I was very um, just uncertain about why I was here, what my path was. And that's something that's actually consistent for me. I've never been someone that's had many goals as in I'm going to, this is what I want to do with my life and I'm going to achieve it in these steps. I've always been a person that has led with my why what I want to offer in a space. And although I didn't know where I was going, I didn't know what I was doing when I moved out to dance professionally. I knew the person that I wanted to be and I was continuously working towards that and continuously showing up as that person in each class and each space that I went into. So I had a very strong understanding of leading with my heart and always have since I was young. And so people were always the priority in that way. I was in Los Angeles for about nine months auditioning for many different jobs, taking classes, meeting people, meeting friends, trying to find my way. And I ended up auditioning for So You Think You Can Dance. I actually auditioned three times and not many people know that. The very first time I auditioned, I was with a group of friends and we just went for fun. We went together and I got cut right away. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Just another no, which I got a lot of those moving out to LA. And so I was like, okay, not my thing. On to the next. And I ended up, time passed, I was I'm going to make this story short because it's a long one. I ended up visiting one of my mom's friends in Denver, Colorado, and it just so happened that So You Think You Can Dance was auditioning there. So they were like, well, when you're in town, do you want to give it another shot? And I was like, no, I don't want to give it another shot because I was so intimidated. I'm like, it's not meant for me. I'm moving on. And after a very long emotional conversation, I ended up going to the audition again I made it a step further, but it, I didn't 
I got cut and I didn't think it was for me. So I never thought I would audition again. And then it came up again months later. My mom was like, they're doing the final audition for the season in LA again. You should go. And I was like, oh, oh, what it was is they were doing season five and six in the same summer to Christmas. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to. I've already gotten cut twice. I don't think this is for me. And my mom was just like, I, I don't know. I have a feeling. I think you should do it. We got in a big argument and I was like, I don't want to do it. Uh, <laughs> got off the phone and I sat there and thought about it. And it was like, you know, maybe I could learn from this. Maybe there's some takeaway. I don't think I'm going to get it anyway. So what if I just go and love on people and try to be this light as I enter into this space? And um, I went and I ended up walking onto the floor to break it down for you. This is actually a pretty miraculous, miraculous moment. I was lining up. There's a pre-audition before auditions that you actually see on television. So there's a wood floor in a random room that you're in that have numbers one through five, six through 10. And so each person lines up and you go genre by genre. So I had signed up to do contemporary this round where other times I had done jazz. So I'm standing on my mark. I was number two, which if, if you're a dancer, you understand the feeling of when the music's about to start, that feeling of you might throw up, you might pee in your pants, you're not really sure, but you're about to lose it. And you're just like, huh. And then the moment the music starts, it's almost like the adrenaline rushes and it all comes together. So I definitely had this moment standing on number two, waiting for my turn. You don't know which song is going to play for you. It's all improv based. So they just say, go. And they could say, okay, number one, they could give you three minutes. They could give you two seconds and say next. So it was number one. They went and then the music started to mess up and to skip. And so I was getting really nervous because I thought I was about to go and I was kind of getting teased in that moment. And I remember closing my eyes and I said this little prayer. I was just like, okay, spirit, it's me and you on that floor. And I just had this prayer that I could envision that it was almost me surrounded by angels and that I would release this sense of needing to prove or needing to be perfect or good enough. And in the arms of an angel, in the arms of the angels came on by Sarah Bareilles. It was a magical moment for me. And I got chills all over my body. And that was the first time I stepped on the floor and felt a hundred percent my purest self. And I ended up making it to the next cut, the next cut, the next cut. And on that season, I was the last girl standing. So it was a really interesting process because that was the first audition, the first time through So You Think that I allowed the purest part of me to lead rather than me trying to be good enough. And every time I came back to that little miracle to be reminded when I was trying too hard, I would look back and go, that's not what got me here. It was my connection to spirit, the purest part of myself. That is what's leading. So if I try to do all the work, it's not going to happen for me. And so I kept coming back to that, made it on So You Think You Can Dance. From there to now, I've explored about seven or eight seasons as a contestant and an all-star. I've met an incredible group of friends and family that are a home to me. I have toured as a motivational speaker. I have um, 
been in a feature film. I've acted and danced all around the country and concert work, commercial work. And it's all led me into more of a health and wellness healing mentality now that I'm starting to realize so much of my journey was filled with this feeling of needing to be perfect and Mm -hmm. being in survival mode as I was pursuing something that initially was filled with play and so pure as a child. But the more that I pursued this career, the more pressure I put on myself to live up to this reputation I imagined I was building until eventually I had so much anxiety going into it that I needed to prioritize my self-care over this achievement mindset. Mm -hmm. And so it was about four or five years ago that I made that promise to myself and it's led me into pursuing meditation, especially neurosculpting meditation, mindfulness, and working to balance that sense of pursuit of uh, growth, yes, mm-hmm. technically in the dance field, but more so a deep connection to intuition and allowing my soul to really lead my pursuit of growth so that it can be embodied and grounded, not just this um, external idea of how a dancer should look aesthetically in all styles. Wow. What a journey. That is so amazingly, what a storyteller you are too. I was right there with you. (laughs) And I just want to say that this unfolding nature that you became more aware of, like observing yourself in the dynamic of what does it mean to be a dancer? Because, you know, I'm not familiar with that field, but I do know from you know, other people's stories that it is about perfection and it's about competition and there's only so many people that make it and, you know, those that don't make it, then this low self-esteem and it's like, it's almost like, you know, so much of our society is uh, encouraging people to be somebody other than who they really are, you know, where you found your love of dance at age three And through the journey, you know, so much of your story is like, you know, you didn't take no for an answer. You kept going back because of the love of the dance. It wasn't maybe, you know, this idea of catching up to, well, it's not about proving that I'm good enough. It's allowing me to have joy and fun with the process that allowed you to stay with it and and come to this awareness that it is a soulful pursuit when you follow your calling. And where does a healthy soul in a, in a body. I think one of your messages is about movement and meditation and this neuro sculpting. So your brand is bringing forward your full story along with your love of dance that came through your own journey. It wasn't like, well, I'll go back to school and get a degree in this so I can be that. It's like you allowed it to come from your soul to your contribution. Is that a correct? Correct. I'm learning what I feel I need in order to heal myself. And I hope that those tools help others. But I know that if I don't take care of me first, I can't help anyone. I can't share anything. So I know that I, when I focus on healing within and allow my pain and my struggle to be a part of my journey, not denied, there's beauty in that darkness and in the pain that I've experienced because it's leading me to healing and back to love almost in this cyclical 
way. So definitely a hundred percent, my struggles are leading me into my interests. So when you pray, when you prayed for those angels to surround you in that moment, when you were on that audition one more time, (laughs) and then the song showed up, you know, what was the song? You were praying for angels. And what was the name of the song that came up? In the Arms of an Angel by Sarah Bareilles. Exactly. So that was like confirmation in a way that something larger, an energy, God, angels, heard your prayer and paved the way for the rest. Is that a correct way of looking at your story? Definitely. Right. And I I hope it's Sarah. I think it's Sarah Bareilles. Am I right on that? Okay, cool. I thought I would, but just confirmed. Well, it makes me want to get that song. So, you know, but there's also a very important message. And I want to, because um, that tied into neurosculpting, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. But let's bring in Alyssa, because uh, Alyssa was so excited that you would actually, um, you know, she sought you out as a mentor. And that's a thing that you have also that you offer. Um, Catherine is movement, meditation, and mentoring. So Alyssa, took you up on that and reached out. So Alyssa Kohello, thank you for being here. And uh, tell us a little bit about you. Your connection with Catherine started before you met her because of your interest in dance too. You wanna tell us a little bit about that and your story? Yeah, thank you, Renee. I'm super happy to be here. Um, Yeah, well, gosh, I have to respond to that story because you just made my palms sweat just listening to you (laughs) talk about the, because. For me, it's like, you know, dancing is one thing, but performing is a whole nother, you know, like dancing and being the embodiment of your passion like that is like a very intimate experience with the self. And then when you are faced with the pressure of having to put on a performance for other people, it, it, it just adds this whole other element that um, that's your story was incredibly inspiring. And I felt all of the you know, miraculous vibes as you were telling it. Um, yeah, no, I watched Catherine as she was coming up on So You Think You Can Dance, actually. That was, um, my mom worked nights, but uh, my dad and I super enjoyed watching So You Think You Can Dance. And we always kind of, you know, gravitated toward our favorite people and stayed on watching them the whole time. And Catherine was one of those. So um, specifically her dances with a legacy were just super enjoyable. I loved them as a duo and, um, yeah. So I, when I had originally connected with her, I, I, I lost my mind. <laughs> I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. I was definitely starstruck. Um, and then to learn more, you know, about her journey and, and how, um, just her personal struggles with, dance and continuing to bring her authentic self to the passion and preserve the passion in the industry she's in was just super admirable for me. So I'm, I'm excited to learn more. Definitely. Right. Well, there's a connection too, because of you and your choice of sociocultural anthropology and your desire to be a philanthropist and what uh, you can learn about what it takes to be that way from Catherine's story. You know, there's some clues into her story about your own pursuit because this vision that you have for yourself um, to make a bigger difference in the world um, came to you through a traveling experience. It wasn't like you set out to have a plan to become a philanthropist. It emerged through your traveling, a lot like the messages that Catherine was talking about that emerged for her 
her, you know, kind of a clue to your soul's purpose. Could you tell us, uh, Lisa, a little bit about that, about your journey and sociocultural anthropology and your trip and then your nonprofit, you know? Yeah, so definitely. About that. I think, um, I think, you know, Catherine just nailed it on the head when she said that um, she, a huge part of her journey has been diving in to heal her own stories and the things that have, you know, kind of become obstacles in, in her journey with dance. And um, that started really early for me. I started dancing when I was about 10 years old and I started with ballet and contemporary. And then um, I made the school team in high school and I mostly did contemporary and um, hip hop. And it was a lot of fun and making the dance team was like, my dream come true at the time and I um, ended up having an injury I injured myself while I was dancing toward the end of my freshman year and I dislocated my hip but it was a little more of a complex injury it shifted my pelvis one way and my kidneys another way and I had tailbone issues after so um, I for the next few years of high school tried to you know just physical therapy and work myself back into it but I, I grew up in a very high achieving family with very high standards. And so this, um, what really beat on my shoulders was like, I cannot be the best that I can be at something that I love. And that broke my heart because I just felt like no matter how hard I pushed, I would never be not as good as I would, I was, but as good as I could be. And so I, I ended up leaving the dance team um, before my senior year started. So I didn't dance my senior year and I focused on work instead. And um, then that journey kind of deepened as, you know, I, I stopped dancing for a few years. So that was about like three, four years. Um, just kind of dove into the world of academics and I, ended up losing my dad in January of 2017. And that kind of, you know, if, if my body already wasn't moving at that point, you know, that was my first experience of death and it definitely spiraled me. And so my journey of, of grieving that and trying to find acceptance and trying to figure out all of the answers to these big questions that started, <laughs> you know, that death make death challenges us with, um, it started with traveling and the first place that I went to was Costa Rica. And I ended up, you know, following an author there who was pivotal to my journey too. But I took my first salsa class there. I had no idea what salsa was. And I took my first salsa class and I was like, no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. And then I walked by the hall and I heard the music. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so full of light and life and joy. And then I just kind of peeped in and then I just kind of tried to <laughs> keep up with the steps and I felt so alive. And that was my first time reconnecting with myself and my body and my spirit and, you know, divinity. And it was like euphoric. And so I came back and was like, I'm going to manifest a dance instructor and a community. And I ended up doing that and really pursuing um, the Latin dances. And that was, that was a lot of fun. So that's kind of been, been my journey around dance. Right. And the, the idea of, um, this call it's like you heard the music and it pulled you forward you know it's kind of like 
there was no negotiation. It was just that. And then that opened the door. It's like what I hear you saying is a lot what Catherine was talking about. It's like there's a soul's calling or pull that connects dance to a higher, even other message that's coming through you. That's a, the dance was a catalyst for, you know, and because you, you know, this idea of leading your life from the inside out through movement <laughs> and learning to trust yourself a little bit has allowed you to move forward. And your, you know, this idea of becoming the, the, not the idea, the dream that you have to become a philanthropist. You're a big thinker with a big heart of contribution. And I think that's also a thing that you have in touch with in common with Catherine. Do you want to share anything about that vision that you have that's kind of stretching you to be a yeah. global thinker and a contributor? Definitely. Um, definitely. And, and I think that, you know, uh, what I was, what I was trying to spiral back to is that we have to first, um, in my opinion, embrace the journey of healing the self before we can, you know, so that we can, because there's, there's not a before, right? It's just this constant journey and um, with just no destination. And um, I think that we have to really pay attention to ourselves and, and take care of ourselves and heal the old stories so that we can continue to do the work of inspiring other people in the world. Um, so yeah, dance has been a pivotal a pivotal part of me listening to myself and accessing that self-trust because I definitely lost it. And I continue to lose it when I get, you know, my head wrapped around certain things or um, trying to learn how to listen to my body and my intuition is a constant um, challenge and journey for me. Um, so yeah, I, I continued to travel and I went to um, a lot of really incredible places, a lot of really underdeveloped regions. And I ended up ending that year off of school in Kenya, in Kikima, Kenya. And I um, spent a few weeks at an orphanage there and was just incredible, you know, went, went through the whole transformative humanitarian experience that happens when you go to a third world country and you finally have the um, comparison of realities. And um, I came back heavy and I came back um, realizing all of the resources that I had at my fingertips. And when I started sharing that with people and I started saying that they cared too, I realized that we could make, you know, make things happen together. And um, so that's what I set out to do. I established the Lionheart Creations Foundation with that goal in mind. Um, my heart is with children. So the our focus is to serve children and empower children. And um, we launched that with our first project in 2020, which, um, you know, considering all of the global circumstances we thought was going to be a bit impossible, but thank goodness for technology and creativity because we managed to throw a really awesome fundraising week together to um, our, and to reach our original goal, which was um, to get the kids a playground per the request of the owner uh, because she already had a couple other nonprofits that were endeavoring to help her with other things and we ended up doubling our our goal and are now able to get the kids a playground musical instruments um, toys and a dormitory floor for the girls so um, super stoked about that and I was really blessed that Catherine answered uh, the call to be a part of that fundraiser. She opened it on the first night withholding a healing movement 
workshop and the feedback from people afterwards was just incredible. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. You know, and I just want to say the other thing that I left out in your introduction is that Alyssa is a co-founder for the youth um, network within Living the Potential. And she's age 24, um, but an old soul and um, really um, chosen to have this conversation with Catherine today. And I can see why there's a bridge, you know, there's a bridge between you and your love for dance and this larger vision that's coming through you, just like with Catherine, dance brought her to an awareness of herself and a higher, you know, it's a bigger context for a contribution rather than being an individual performer. There's something else that's coming through. So I'm just wondering, Catherine, as you're listening to Alyssa and her story, um, what shows up for you that you would like to talk to Alyssa about? I think what I, um, coming back to kind of the beginning of what you were speaking on, I, I, the word expectation came up for me and how many times I know however I've met something is my memory of it. So say I met dance in a certain way at a certain age, and then all of a sudden life happens and things change, but this expectation of how I was can continuously keep me from the transformation that is held in what is happening now. And so I just thought it was fascinating how you were talking about almost meeting dance over again through a new form through salsa so it kind of feels like what I what I'm sensing was oh wow it's so interesting like I wonder if you would have in that moment it would have been hip-hop or contemporary if you would have allowed yourself to play and get curious and get creative and just get that feeling where you could go for it because there can be this pressure on that because there's a history with it. And so everything you're talking about with the stories, I 100% relate to. And I think it's incredible that there was that opportunity for that childlike nature to allow you to lead you into something that movement which is pure we have style but then there's movement beyond all of it which we are made up of our internal organs always move even when we sleep at our stillest state so there's movement which is pure and then there's all the other things put on top of it so listening to you it makes me so grateful that and um just excited for you that you had a moment to be reintroduced to movement that craves to know you and be with you um yeah it's yeah, such a it beautiful like, journey it sounds like poetry when you talk about it like that really um and and I think it's a it's a constant you know reminder for myself in training I I the the analogy what screams to me is like um, you know, I had started college and I had finished my general ed and I took a, that year off to travel and I had ag academics was so closely linked with my um, identity that that year off while I was traveling and doing all those things, I was also having an identity crisis because I didn't know who I was without, you know, getting good grades and achieving things. And um, it was nerve wracking and really transformative and awesome. And it gave me a really great experience for when I got back to the university. And it kind of, it, it gave me a healthy, productive strategy for how to manage the university, you know? 
And so um, just graduated and now I'm looking at taking another year off. And I was talking with my sister the other day. I was like, you know, I am so excited for the next identity. <laughs> I am so excited to not know who I am without <laughs> academics again, because last time when I gave that a rest, I, it, I opened myself to meeting dance again, like you said, to rediscovering a whole nother part of me that I had forgotten. And, um, you know, it had new face and it had new tunes and, um, but it was so beautiful. And I, I tried to foster that flexibility and, and reminding myself to, to do that and things, but it's difficult. <laughs> I relate a hundred percent to that achievement mentality, the go, 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 um, finding so much value in what you can accomplish because there's amazing intention behind it and purpose, but there's also a lot of, um, a lot of stories. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So this new, you know, I heard a request there, Alyssa, that you can't wait to see what this new identity crisis might be <laughs> um, in the space that you're creating, uh, where you get to define your learning as opposed to enrolling in a program that tells you what to learn. And when, even though you have choice in that, now you've got more of a a space where you claim what you want to bring forward. And maybe that's a question that you might want to ask Catherine is like, how did you create the space to fill when you weren't sure about what was next? Is that a question that we want to ask Catherine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult, right? Cause you can get lost in to do's and tasks and, and goals and, um, especially when you don't have projects and you're the type of person who makes projects for yourself. And so that's definitely my intention going into the new year is, is how do, how do I create that space um, mm -hmm. for myself to get reacquainted with my body? Because even over this last year with work picking up and school picking and all these things um, I've lost touch. The, the, um, the workshop that you did at the fundraiser was like, oh my God, it's the first time I've gotten out of my desk and sat on the ground in so long. It felt so good. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I think it's so challenging because I think most of my journey, I haven't known where I'm going. <laughs> uh, but for me, and I'll speak through my experience, and obviously if there's any little bits of treasure that teach you something or, or you find valuable, amazing. I can't necessarily give you answers or tell you what you need. Um, but yeah, in my journey, I just think I have, I haven't always known, but I, what I'm coming back to is that so much of my focus has been in the past or the present or the past or the future. So this looking back on, okay, this is what I've done before. This is familiar. Should I be doing this? Like I did that last time. Uh, do I need to be performing in this show or doing this project? I already accomplished it, but ooh, what if I could never do that again? Am I ever going to be asked to do that again? Or the future of like, okay, well, should I be learning something new? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? But what about the moment? What about the present moment? What about feeling your feet on the floor when you wake up? in the morning? What about having a relationship with the plants or the trinkets in your home, what you put in your body, how you eat your food? Like, does the food that you're eating, which is, and I hope this doesn't sound crazy, this is just my mentality, like looking at my food and honoring how long it took for that plant, say if I'm eating a salad, 
to grow, to be something that can nourish and heal my body. That took so long for that one radish to be able to be ripe enough for me to eat and be healed by. So I think about all the time that goes into that. And am I actually being present with the steps of my day to day looking my husband or friend in the eye and really listening and being with them, feeling the wind on my face, being present in writing my to-do list here and now, rather than always focusing on what's next. And that's something that I'm practicing. And I realize I'm not that great at because I've trained myself to be so aware of what comes next, what comes next, what comes next. And it steals a lot of joy for me. So I have to relearn how to really be with what is. And honestly, what is sometimes doesn't feel good. Like when I'm in the present moment, I'm not always met with joy. I'm met with a deep sadness that is within me and has been within me in my history for a long time. And is it allowed to be there? If I keep looking towards the future, there's no time to kind of nurture what is honest in me uh, that doesn't have the space to kind of uncover itself if I'm running too fast. So that's kind of been my perspective on that really going, wow, what is within me? It's like a, a conversation with a friend or someone you love. If you only give them 10 minutes a day, you can only get so far, but it's in those moments that you're like, we're just going to spend the day hanging out where you have hours in silence, but then all of a sudden there's those moments where you uncover deeper conversation and ideas and questions just because there's space. Yeah, definitely. Cool. I think that the, um, the treasures of simplicity are very difficult to get reacquainted with, especially um, in, a, in a culture where we're constantly going and we're constantly expected to go. And we've been groomed to expect ourselves to constantly go. So here's a question for you. Um, you know, you're right the, about the culture. Um, it's always about the doing. People get into the doing so they can have what they think they want but then there's always something missing because they didn't bring their being to their doing. <clears throat> and I'm wondering in, in from the, the way in which you've got meditation, movement and mentoring, how the flow of those support you and your being, you know, Catherine, mm -hmm. because there might be a clue there uh, in a question that will come from Alyssa if we hear a little bit more about that from you, that being yeah, nature yeah. that comes through that the three Ms. <laughs> meditation think, and mentoring yeah I'll share and I'll see if I don't know if I'm answering your question but you can kind of guide me in what direction you want to go with it but um I think everything that I share I share also because it teaches me back <laughs> like everything that I offer I'm also learning at the same time. And in the learning how to offer, I am evolving into the woman I desire to be. So half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. And I think most people could probably say that in life. I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I know what I desire. And I'm, 
in my pursuit of offering it, it's going, okay, well, what would I need in this moment in order to feel safe? What would I need in this moment in order to feel like I can really be present with my body? And in sharing that, I hear other perspectives and it almost holds me accountable to go, if I'm going to share this work, then I have to embody it. And it's so easy and I say this from experience to be someone who's incredibly inspirational in the classroom, but doesn't live by it. And that was me for a long time because I didn't know how. I had all of these ideas of the person I wanted to be, but my stress response was so heightened that there was no room for me to actually be grounded in my body. I didn't know how to be. And so as I've learned more about mindfulness that is enhancing my ability to have a grounded conversation with someone and allow space for everything the darkness and the light to belong where at where in myself and also in others it's also mindfulness is, is leaving me space to experience a sense of embodiment through movement that I have not felt very often because I was so caught up in the past and future approach of I have to live up to this expectation and I also have to be good enough for that next moment. And so it all ties in in a way that is enhancing and enriching my being naturally because of the work that it naturally is and the accountability that I have from having to show up for others. Yeah, I, I have to say, I so admire your um, transparency in that because, you know, we see people who have really, you know, developed careers or have a certain element of fame and we just assume that everyone has it all together. Um, and, you know, like I said, as a high achiever, I hear that feedback sometimes and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm sure glad <laughs> that it looks like I do, but I don't. And um, to hear that from, you know, someone else that, that I admire is like, it's comforting. <laughs> it's extremely comforting to hear that type of, of transparency. Um, what, what comes up for me in, in everything you're saying is, because uh, I am so aware of how um, imperative mindfulness and meditation and the quiet and the calm are. Um, and that was a really big, awesome practice for me for a while. And I have definitely fallen out of it. And it's not that I haven't had the opportunity to. Um, it's that I, it's very uncomfortable for me now. And perhaps that is because of the task list and perhaps it is a matter of creating space for myself to get quiet. But there has, be, there has you know, grown this certain element of, of being uncomfortable and not, you know, even when I feel like I am listening or I've, I've gotten some inspiration or I've gotten some um, intuitive next step or piece of wisdom, I struggle so much with self-doubt. And I have no idea how to work my way through it. And I think my question for you would be um, what your tools are in working through that self-doubt. Do you keep uh, like a close tribe of people that, that remind you who you are? Or is that um, a quiet experience for you? Mm, this is a deep one it's for deep. me. Yeah, <laughs> it's deep because uh, I experience it every day. And yeah. have my whole life, but I'm in process with that for sure. Um, 
I think self-doubt used to be, I'll go through my phases of life because I have a new relationship every day with it. But it used to be something that I, I used to look at self-doubt. As a child, I didn't know. I, I had that self-doubt and I would just, it was the freeze response for me. I would go inward and shut down and I was known to be incredibly shy, but really I just had a lot of fear and I didn't necessarily feel safe in my body or in my environment a lot of the time. Um, as I got older, this self-doubt, I started to, when I was pursuing, say, the beginning stages of my professional career, it was this, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote of like, if something scares you, dive into it. Like, if something scares you, you're supposed to go for it. And maybe, maybe, <laughs> I just think to that, maybe, depends. <laughs> like, that's what we could say. For me, a lot of times I, I started to create this idea of, okay, if something, if I'm afraid of something, I have to dive into it every single time. And I would be terrified every single time, but I would put myself in these situations that I felt like maybe I'm overcoming this fear. And what I realized in some circumstances, I would get used to situations and I wouldn't be as afraid the next time. But in some situations, I was almost trying to beat down the wall of fear to where I was kind of re-traumatizing myself. So I wasn't becoming less afraid. I was becoming more afraid and creating a larger shield and mask. I was having this freeze response that I did when I was a child, but learning to perform on top of it. So it was really hard to identify that I was having this stress response because everyone praised me for that sense of go-getter. You're the energizer bunny. You never stop. Yeah, it's awesome. You love dance so much that you never stop training. And really, that was a fear of not being good enough. So it was complex because so much of my reputation was built upon the action that my fear led me towards. And I didn't know how to get out of that because I felt like, well, if I switch my actions, am I still valuable to all of these people that think I'm great because of how much work I put in? And I, I was putting so much work in on the physical that I didn't have the, I was tired. I didn't have the space emotionally to actually absorb any of the other work. <laughs> and I didn't respect stillness because I thought I wasn't good enough. And that meant if I'm not good enough, I don't have time to be still. I'm behind. I got to keep going like this hamster will. And um, that's where neurosculpting comes in for me. I've, I've created a lot of my own self-care toolkit that I, I bring with me. And I definitely have like my essential oils that I use and I rub on my hands and I have certain smells that I've linked to different experiences. I have even here a little stone that I hold in my hand in order to remind me to be grounded and not to say be grounded, but it just reminds me of earth. It reminds me of sending my energy down towards the floor. I have different gestures and, and areas in my body that I can connect to that bring me home. Uh, I definitely have relationships and people in my life that I can just flat out say, I'm feeling really off today or call it out in the moment here and now say, I'm a little nervous just so it breaks the ice. But neurosculpting has definitely been one of the most transformative tools for me. 
is the first form of meditation, which I believe meditation can be dancing. Meditation can be walking around the block, admiring a plant, having a cup of tea and tasting every sip. But form of meditation, that's more of a formal form of meditation um, because it works with the stress response, regulating the nervous system and also works with different limiting beliefs or stories. I'm not good enough whatever that is, and uses the meditation as a tool to gain a new perspective or loosen the link that this story has to fear, this memory has to fear. Our brains are a prediction machine. So they're constantly trained to look at the past and say, okay, is what happened? Am I in danger? Am I not? If what has happened in the past, is it similar to what's happening now? And if it is, it's going to react in a way that you try to protect yourself in order to keep yourself safe. Because in the past, this situation that was similar was danger. And so I've realized that so much of how I walk through and see the world is me reflecting on a past experience that I didn't feel safe. So instead of giving the present moment an opportunity for me to show up different, to teach me something. Instead, it's this sense of like high alert. I'm in danger. I'm in danger. And so this form of meditation has definitely given me tools to establish a greater sense of safety within my being so that my environment doesn't dictate how safe I feel. Although it may be unsettling to walk in an intense space, I have tools that I can be reminded that I'm have more choice. I have autonomy and how, what I choose to focus on. And that has been transformative for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, really. I know that's a, that's a lot to digest. And, you know, you brought up a lot of things because um, I, so many of those conversations are tied to each other, right? Like self-worth and value and the, you know, your own lovability and the, those all of those conversations feel like a tornado to me <laughs> that I have not untangled yet and um, I feel like I've, I've gotten to a decent place of awareness but it's it's hard to try to walk yourself you know through that and not know where you're going <laughs> or how to mm-hmm. so can I say one more thing sure I do have something Lisa Wimberger who created Neurosculpting constantly talked about even if like some, for some people in some days, meditation does not feel supportive. Maybe the stress response is too strong. And with that, she talks about bottom up practices. So we have top down practices being, you know, meditation, being our thoughts, how they influence the body, but we also have practices in the body that influence the mind. And Mm -hmm. so movement being one that is a natural way to eliminate stress, literally shaking for a minute or 30 seconds is a way to naturally relieve stress, going on a walk, admiring an animal, whatever those are, like, can those be considered a meditation as well? So again, like we were talking about earlier, this expectation, say, of hip hop and contemporary, and then all of a sudden having this injury, this life changing experience, and then meeting dance again in a new form through salsa. So also like, mindfulness maybe mindfulness for you doesn't necessarily connect as it did in the past but like what in what way what enhances a sense of curiosity within you that could naturally activate your imagination and create a more present state 
Yeah, and you don't have to have an answer. I don't know, right? <laughs> no, I, there is no answer. That's, that's a definitely going to be an ongoing conversation because um, I think that there were a lot of stories that were created in my own head, right? And possibly with feedback from the environment when that injury happened. And it, I don't even think this hadn't come to me until just hearing you talk, but all of those conversations around self-trust and self-doubt and self-worth and feeling valuable and um, feeling lovable. And it's it's all wrapped around those conversations. So thank you for giving me <laughs> the, oh. next, um, the next uh, conversations I have to open with myself. Well, I think that's the whole point of the show is to have a new opening in the relationship. And I'm just wondering, Catherine, when you hear Alyssa's story, is there any takeaway for you? I'd say two or three takeaways that you now have that you didn't have before this conversation. And then I'm going to ask Alyssa you the same question. I just keep thinking um, how unique each of our stories are and how they're also not. And I mean that in a way of, I feel like when each of us are speaking, there's so many people that relate to these stories because we all have this journey that we're on pursuing this sense of um, uh, connection in some way, everybody's looks different, like what it is that you're seeking. But I don't know, there's something, even just getting to witness your story, it, it, um, it reminds me of the power of connection and these conversations because I don't think most of us have the answers, like we said earlier, but to me, it's being in conversation, being able to say, you know what, this is where I am. I don't know from both parties and allowing these questions to lead. I feel like I've grown the most when I haven't had answers. <laughs> when I have answers, it's like a dead end. It's done, right? It's the time, say, I offer something and someone says, how was class? And I go, I have no idea. Those are the moments I sit contemplating and questioning and going, how could I have explained this differently? And, but it's the times they go, how was class? And I go, amazing. I don't think about it really again because it's done. It's a finite answer. And so when I listen to you speak, there's a lot of questions and that makes me so excited for you because in the pursuit of uncovering, which they may never completely uncover to an answer, but they may uncover to another question. And I hope they do, because anytime that has happened for me, it's led to a deeper understanding of how to ask the question, which has been transformative. Right. Well, how about wow. you, Alyssa? That's a beautiful acknowledgement for you, Alyssa. And I'm just wondering, what are two or three takeaways? I, I have several myself, but you listening and receiving, Alyssa, what, what, what are two or three takeaways you've gotten from this conversation today? Oh, there's, I, I can't, I, I don't think I can count my hands the takeaways from this conversation. Um, really, I'm, I'm so grateful. And like you said, I, I think that this is especially inspiring for me as I'm with the nonprofit trying to build a community where people can come with their questions who also desire to lead and have no idea how to and understand that that happens when we when we you know gather in connection with each other and open these conversations 
and do the work to heal ourselves and commit to that journey. And because, you know, that's really how we have a positive impact on the world around us. So, um, no, I'm, I will definitely need time to digest all of this and grateful that I can listen back to this, um, this episode. It was such a pleasure. Well, to those listeners that are listening to this, I hope you had your notepad out. And if you didn't, you can always re-listen to this. There's so many, so many pieces of wisdom here. And I'm grateful, Catherine, for you sharing how, you know, you, you, you lead with your why. And you, you have that heart in your hand that helps ground you. And you've allowed yourself to have self-care in your full expression and embodiment. You know, so for those of us that are, you know, wanting to be our highest and best potential and realizing that it's an inside out journey. It comes from the inside out. We can follow our passions and then things happen along the way and we go, I wonder what this is teaching me. <laughs> you reminded me of how important that is and um, so many other things that you covered here about how to address self-doubt how to absolutely not be too attached to the way things need to look, but allow it to unfold and to deepen our trust, deepen our trust, because there's a larger story unfolding within our story. <laughs> and after a while, you can actually start to see that and let go and be happy and joyful, no matter what it is, not, and not be determined by our circumstances. Even when being told no frequently, I'm doing this for the fun of it, the joy of it. And then what happens, right? It's like trusting ourselves at a deep level. So many lessons I've learned from both of you. I think it's totally living into this reciprocal mentoring experience that bridging the potential intergenerational conversations that matter. Um, this podcast was inspired um, by Living the Potential. It's a community of change makers made up of parents, grandparents, educators, entrepreneurs, conscious business, dancers, artists, creators, philanthropists, and we're determined to engage the wisdom of youth to save our world. Thank you so much. I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find out more information about you, Catherine. Where can they go to find out more information about you? Definitely. You can check me out at katherinemccormick.us. And also Instagram, it's Catherine R. McCormick. That's right. And that's Catherine with a Y. Right? With Catherine a Y. With a y. Yes. And then Alyssa, where can people go to find, I know they can find you on livingthepotential.com is one of the co-founders of this youth movement. And where else can they find you? Yeah, definitely. I can also be found at um, alyssanoelcoelho.com and um, on social media platforms as Alyssa Noel Coelho. That's great. You want to spell that last name for us? <laughs> it, the full name is A-L-Y-S-S-A-N-O-E-L-L-E-C-O-E-L-H-O. Exactly. Hello. So thanks again to our listeners. We appreciate you listening and knowing that living the potential when you bridge and listen, uh, learners, intergenerational learners sharing who we are becoming in this brand new world is inspiring, especially when you bring yourself to the party. <laughs> No reason to be put yourself on the back seat. Show up powerfully and live your purpose. Thanks everyone for joining in and we'll see you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and will join us for the next Bridging the Potential podcast. If you're interested in what we're doing here at Living the Potential Network, please visit our website, www.livingthepotential.com. 
and check out the first two chapters of Renee Best's book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. Till next time.